0: Jesus said in Luke 4 18 and 19 the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and beloved I want to tell you this morning that he is still setting captives free He's still binding up the brokenhearted. He's still mending what's been broken, restoring what's been stolen, renewing what has withered and finding what was lost. He lifts the heads of the downtrodden and carries the burdens of those who are weighed down by despondency and despair. He is able and he is willing because God is great and God is good. And Psalm 100 calls us to thanksgiving and praise on those grounds. Psalms are songs, as you know, they were written to be sung and they are like modern songs, to a certain degree, poetic and they have rhythm and structure. Um, They have a variety of themes and moods and that sort of thing, if you were to read all 150 of them. Psalm 100 is... Uh, like all other psalms in those respects, what makes it unique is its title. It's a psalm, you notice there, for giving thanks. A psalm for giving thanks. There are other psalms that include commands to give thanks. This is the only one identified as being a thanksgiving psalm. And maybe that helps explain the popularity of this psalm down through the centuries, even right up to our day and since the time of the Old Testament. In fact, our our closing hymn today is a paraphrase of Psalm 100 written in the late 1500s and has continued to be sung since then. It's called the Old 100th, in fact. But this psalm calls us to praise and thanksgiving on the basis of two, two facts that the Lord is God and the Lord is good. It's structured around those two statements, and it's from these that I've drawn the sermon title this morning, God is great, God is good. Now, of course, many of us learned a, a table blessing as children, right? That began that way, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. <laughs> uh, but even though it was just a memorized Prayer, it actually contains a profound truth because we praise God for his greatness and we thank God for his goodness. And and conversely, if we understand something of God's greatness, praise flows forth. And if we recognize God's goodness, thanksgiving comes forth. We praise God for His greatness. We thank Him for His goodness, and those true truths alone require us to respond. And let's observe how that's outlined in Psalm 100. So, if we just do kind of a the five thousand foot flyover, okay, if we just sort of scan from from above um, these these five verses in this psalm, and if we particularly if we flew by a few times, you might it might take a few times to notice this. But you'll notice that there are essentially two stanzas to this song. There are verses 1 through 3 that are kind of the first stanza. Verses 4 through 5 are the second. And both stanzas command action on our part and then give give the basis for that action. Um, And in both cases, what we know to be true about God determines how we respond. And so I want to approach the text that way this morning, looking first at what it tells us about God's nature and then how we are to respond to that knowledge. So rather than taking it just sequentially, beginning in verse 1, I want to take it a little bit more thematically. What does it tell us about God and his nature? And then what does it say about how we respond to those facts? Well, let's look, fir- look first at God's nature, and as I said, and as the title of my sermon would reveal, the first thing is that God is great. Look in verse 3, and it doesn't say uh, those words explicitly, but it says, know that the Lord, he is God. Know that the Lord, he is God. You notice there in probably whatever translation you're reading, assuming it's an English translation, you'll notice the word Lord is in all capital letters, And that is a translating convention, and I won't go into why this is the case, but it it actually is, it reflects that that's the divine name. It's the one that um, is sometimes transliterated Yahweh or other times Jehovah, when we think of the divine name. And there are reasons why it's translated rather than transliterated, so we get Lord um, in the English Bible. And that's distinguished from other places you'll read in the, in the Bible where Lord is capital L and then it's lowercase the other letters and it's a different word for Lord. This, re, this reflects that it is the divine name. And the reason I mention that is because what, what they're saying here is Yahweh is God. Our God is God. In other words, so Yahweh is the, is the God of Israel over against the, the gods of the Canaanites or the Amorites or the Hittites or the, any otherites. You know, they all had their, their own gods that they worshiped. And this is the God of Israel. And, he's, and they're saying, Our God is the God. And it goes on to say, It is He who made us and we are His. Or maybe in your translation, um, and not we ourselves. It is he who made us, and we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So God is our maker, so he commands, uh, and he is our shepherd, so he cares. You get that? That's what's being revealed here. God is our maker, so he commands. He's Lord of it all. Even those who don't believe, by the way. But he's also shepherd, so he cares. And these are just declarations of his greatness. And his greatness commands our praise. And let me just read a few Old Testament verses that make some mention of greatness and in some cases a connection to the praise that follows from this. Uh, I've only picked a few because there are so many you could find in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 10.6 says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Psalm 145, 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Psalm 47, 7. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. And then this few verses from 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 through 13. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. If you don't have anything else to say before you carve the turkey this week, that might be a good passage to open with. We thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. So God is great, and we praise him accordingly. It also says that God is good. If you look at verse 5, you see this statement just made explicitly, that the Lord is good. And it's reflected his goodness, that is, in two ways. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness endures to all generations So this is the God they're proclaiming, the one who preserved them in Egypt, who liberated them from Egypt, provided for them in the wilderness, and then delivered them into the promised land. His love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. May I ask you, what fears do you have right now about what tomorrow holds? You know, many of you have lived long enough to watch our country and culture deteriorate to an alarming degree and at an alarming rate. And you're afraid about what the future holds even for your children or grandchildren. I've heard people even say, you know, I don't, we don't want to have children because we don't want to bring children into this world. And I, I can understand something about the pessimism of uh, of what the future holds, or what the, the the culture offers, and that sort of thing. But God is Lord. The Lord is God, and He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever, forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. That's your grandchildren. That's their grandchildren. Is His people throughout all generations. His faithfulness endures. He is good, and we can thank him for his goodness. So that's what it says about God's nature here in the psalm, that he is great and he is good. And then let's look at what it says about our response to that. And first, if we begin in in verse 1, I mean, of course, we could look at just verse 4 and we we enter with thanksgiving and with praise. And that's the phrase we're probably most familiar with uh, from this psalm. But if we look back in verse 1, the first thing we're told is to shout for joy or shout joyfully. That's the NIV and uh, New American Standard put it that way. In this translation, the ESV, in the King James Version, it says, make a joyful noise. We could l- use a little more noise making around here, don't you think? Amen. Amen. Uh, in the Latin translation, the word here is jubilate, at which you will recognize as the root of our English words jubilation or jubilant or even jubilate, which is a verb you might not be familiar with. Uh, it's a real verb, I think, in English. Uh, it's kind of fallen out of usage. But um, Augustine, back in the 5th century, in his uh, exposition of the Psalms, said that one who jubilates or shouts joyfully does not utter words, but is a certain sound of joy without words. So we're perhaps most familiar with jubilation as it is expressed in the athletic arena. It's a little bit sad that we should be most familiar with jubilation in the athletic arena more so than we are in the house of God, but that's probably true. But uh, when our favorite team scores the winning touchdown, the confetti flies and the band plays and, and the crowd just erupts in shouts of jubilation, right? That may have happened for some of you Wake Forest fans in the house last night. <laughs> but they're just shouts of jubilation. There are no words. No, one, no one's in the stands saying, well-executed men, I am pleased with your performance and excited about the outcome. It's just wordless shouts of jubilation, right? Well, that's shouting for joy. Charles Spurgeon says that this joyful noise signifies a glad shout such as as loyal subjects give when their king appears among them. So you imagine the king going out to battle, And and reigning victorious or defending the city against the onslaught of the enemy, and then coming, processing back into the city, and the people receive him with jubilation, with shouts of joy. That's the word here. And in that light, it makes sense that this is how we would respond to the Lord, doesn't it? Because he is our God, he is our maker. He is our shepherd and we are sheep in his pasture. And and not only that, but I I am the sheep that left the pasture. I'm the one for whom he left the 99 to come and find and bring back to the pasture. So I know that he is God and I know that he is good. And many of you could tell the same story, right? Can somebody say amen to that, right? I was the wretch we were singing about. Uh, and there are some other former wretches in the house. <laughs> By the way, yeah, if we got any current wretches, you're in the right place too. Because listen, he is great and he is good. His faithfulness endures forever but i know i know that his steadfast love endures forever so i can shout with joy to him that's one of our responses we're also told in verse 2 to serve with gladness serve with gladness now since we are such independent people who enjoy such a great degree of freedom it's hard for us to imagine serving an earthly king or Lord, isn't it? Right, it's, it's hard to imagine um, having a king that we can't vote out of office, but that we just have to do whatever he commands for as long as he lives. It's hard for us to imagine, you know, being like serfs in the old feudal arrangement where we, we live on the Lord's land and we work it according to his terms. We're totally dependent on the Lord's land, but but we have to work it on his terms. Or being a slave in the master's house who, is, who always must do his bidding regardless of his mood or disposition and that kind of thing. So we don't live in that kind of arrangement and it's, so it's hard for us to relate to something like this. But I think if we could, if any of those arrangements were a little more familiar to us, it might occur to us how unusual and unexpected it is To be told to serve the Lord with gladness. Because you don't think of serving a Lord. We think of serving the Lord with gladness. But one doesn't serve lords or kings with gladness. It, It might be much more natural to expect to be told to serve the Lord with bitterness. Or resentment or reluctance. And before you give yourself too much credit and think that wouldn't apply to you. Let me put it another way. For most of us, as soon as someone commands us to do something, we don't want to do it. Right? You know, I was going to take that trash out just to be kind. But now that you told me to do it and I would have to take it out to be obedient, I don't want to do it anymore. So many of us grew up uh, doing chores and whether daily, weekly, or on some other schedule, how many of them did them, how many of us did them with gladness? If my father came into my bedroom on a Saturday morning and woke me up and said, we're going to do yard work today, which has happened before, (laughs) you know, I I wouldn't say, oh, good. (laughs) You know, because some of my friends were wanting to get together to play football and what a dreadful waste of time that would be. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to serve the family and to be productive. Right? No, I mean, so, but that would be serving the Lord. But you see how natural, how unnatural that would seem to be as a response. We we might we might think it's reasonable to be told to serve with duty, or to, or to be to serve with responsibility, or even to just be to serve without complaining. But to be told to serve with gladness is something remarkable that we wouldn't expect to apply to any other Lord. But but this is the point, is he's not any other Lord. He is our great God, who is also not only Lord, but a caring and constant and faithful. And we can serve him with gladness. It's the way he tells us to serve him. And then third, our response we're told is to come with singing so not only with shouts of joy or to serve with gladness but we should come with singing and this seems to parallel the statement in verse 4 that we're familiar with that we're to enter his presence with thanksgiving and his courts or enter his gates with thanksgiving and his his courts with praise both verses specify that we should come with you know making pronouncements or declarations that exalt him in response to his greatness and goodness. You're, you may be familiar with, it. often there are protocols for entering the presence of a king or queen. And uh, they are designed, or historically, I guess, designed to ensure that due honor is properly demonstrated And that the relative status or standing of ruler and subject is maintained. So there's a protocol for how you approach the king to be sure you pay due honor to the king and that you're reminded that you're lower than he is. That's what I'm trying to say. That's a protocol for approaching the king. And so uh, in approaching the Queen of England, for instance, here are a few of the rules. A woman should curtsy and a man should bow his head. Address her as your majesty initially and then ma'am thereafter. Don't speak unless spoken to. Don't be seated until she is seated. Don't start eating until she starts eating. Don't, whatever you do, turn your back on her It's disrespectful. So you would literally either wait for her to leave the room or you would back out of the room. But you wouldn't turn your back on her. And don't ask personal questions. Keep it to small talk only. These are actual rules. Now you'll know for your next visit with the queen. You'll have a head start on how to approach her. You know, it's perfectly appropriate for the queen to dictate how honor is to be properly shown. And these might be exactly the kinds of rules that we would expect any monarch to have, right? If you're going to approach me, you do it in a certain way so that you're reminded I'm the king and, or I'm the queen and you're not and so forth. But knowing that then, it might seem striking that we're told to come into the Lord's presence with singing. I mean, if you think about the Queen of England as an example of a monarch or any other king that would be like that, you clearly would not come into the presence of the Queen of England with singing. You, you shouldn't even whistle or hum, by the way. <laughs> Don't make a peep. Well, let's consider some reasons why we're told to approach the Most High God in that way. Well, first, of, and these are just a few, but first of all, God is the source of everything good that we enjoy. As, as uh, James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. So songs of thanksgiving uh, and praise are highly honoring to him. It's an acknowledgement. We recognize he is the source of everything good we have. What better way to come into his presence than with singing thanksgiving. But number two, God is entirely secure in himself. Right, I mean, he's, he doesn't need reminders from men how great he is or how high he is. Now he calls us to praise him, but what I'm telling is, yeah, what I'm saying is he doesn't have to be puffed up. He doesn't need an ego boost from people. He is totally secure in who he is. Likewise, he, he has no, no need to keep people in their place, so to speak. So it, he, unlike Kings or queens throughout history, he has no fear that someone's going to come into his presence and be perceived by others as more powerful than he is. He has no fear that somebody is going to uh, sort of maneuver for position and topple his kingdom. He is completely unthreatened by any attitudes or gestures or intentions on the part of mankind to, to mount rebellion or insurrection. God is not bothered by that. And so he doesn't need people to approach him in a way that keeps them in their place. But most of all, for those who believe in him, God is not only king, he is father. And of course, that's not re- revealed immediately in the text here. We have it... Uh, the Bible pointing always in the Old Testament to what would be revealed in Jesus, but he is father. Those of us who know him, we know him as father. We still reverence him as king, but he accepts us as beloved children and joint heirs with Jesus. So so when we come into the presence of God, we are coming into the presence of our father, the king, Isn't that a wonderful thing? And so guess what? It's okay to speak first. You don't have to wait to be spoken to. It's okay to speak first. And it's okay to get personal with him. And it's okay to come with singing and shouts of joy, jubilation. Because it's joy birthed out of an affection for the one who has set his love upon us. God is great and God is good and it is completely fitting that we would respond with thanksgiving and praise that doesn't have to be practiced, rehearsed, it doesn't have to be scripted or anything like that but it just flows out of what's inside of us because we recognize how great and how good he is. And that was evidenced um in eva's testimony i mean it's it's a it's an immediate recent personal reminder of what it looks like for a great god to show his goodness to a person to an individual and the stories are innumerable because his love endures forever forever and i want to read you in closing uh another little testimonial um, of the fruit of God's work through Celebrate Recovery. Um, And this is actually addressed to the church. It's appropriate for me to read. It says, Dear Myrtle Grove, my name is Mark. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and in recovery from drugs and alcohol. You don't know me, but I do know your church. What I mean is, not sure what is going on in the sanctuary service area, but I am very aware of some of what goes on in the fellowship area. I'll get right to my point. Lives are being saved. I know this firsthand because it is Myrtle Grove Church Celebrate Recovery that saved mine. My first visit Three and a half years ago, I knew something was different at MGPC celebrate recovery from other meetings. I went home after my first visit and said to my wife, that place is infested with the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful thing to be said, right? If somebody's going to spread rumors about you. That place is infested with the Holy Spirit. And so with that and the fact that it's a safe place and no judgment zone, full of love and caring for the sick and suffering, I tell you this, we are moving away to be closer to grandchildren soon to arrive. The fact of the matter is, I would not be grandfather material if it wasn't for Myrtle Grove Presbyterian Church. So I say, thank you very much. May God bless all of you and Myrtle Grove Presbyterian Church. Sincerely, Mark. Praise the Lord for that. God is great and God is good, and that is not simply the opening line of a rote, memorized children's prayer, but it is the basis for the praise and thanksgiving that flows out of us ceaselessly, and especially at this time of year as we enter into thanksgiving We ought to be reminded he is great and he is good and he is still demonstrating that in the lives of people all around us. And I will tell you here that um, Celebrate Recovery is, of course, we have an opportunity to show our support for what God is doing through that particular group. But I said to Jim earlier this week, um, you know, my, my message last week was, Four spiritual needs we never outgrow. So, fellowship, forgiveness, service, and study. And I don't know of a group or a ministry anywhere in our church where that is being any better lived out, any more effectively or faithfully than it is in Celebrate Recovery. Real people are experiencing a real God in really profound ways. And they know. Increasingly, he is great and he is good. Let's pray together. Lord, you are our great God. We praise you today. We praise you, Lord, for countless testimonies of how you're still working in the lives of real people, even right here in our midst. And as we enter into this season of Thanksgiving, Lord, we just, we just remind ourselves of your goodness that we, we can't even uh, express fully the number of ways in which you are good and have been good to us. We thank you and praise you, Lord. We ask that you would continue by the power of your spirit to work um, in mighty ways in the lives of people who come into this fellowship. We thank you for Eva and her willingness to share her testimony. We thank you for what you did and are doing in her life. We thank you, Lord, for the story you have written, this new chapter on Mark's life. And there are others even back there right now who could say similar things. We thank you, Lord. We just invite you to continue to work in that way. Would you be glorified in us as you do in the name of Jesus, amen.